Unbuckled. Unbuckled discussion. Unbuckled discussion. This is discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Welcome to Unbuckled discussions. How's it ish? That's all good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Neil. So um, yeah, welcome to Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. What do you yes. think of the name? Um, so, so, yeah, it's a bit free rolling, I suppose. Yeah. Um, could <laughs> be could be naughty as well. That's what I was going for. So, um, what? Uh, so, who am I speaking to? What's your name? I'm Ismail Lani. Mm -hmm. I'm born in Cape Town, South Africa. Yeah. Um, and born of a group called the Kamisa, or um, labelled in the apartheid era as coloured. Oh, Kamisa? Really? I didn't know that was the... Kamisa means coming from the water. C-A-M-I-S-S-A, Kamisa. Is it an Afrikaans word? No, it's a term chosen by um, South Africans mm -hmm. to remove the word coloured because that means nothing apart from a derogatory label. Oh, I see. Okay, so yeah. we're meant to replace the word colored with something that isn't derogatory. That's correct. Kamisa. And the, uh, that's for the people who came via the ocean from Indonesia, Malaysia. Oh, okay. Most of them as slaves. But is, it, to, uh, is the colored term still derogatory in modern day South Africa, do you believe? Because it gets used a lot more, I don't know, like freely. Yes, it's a, there's a movement to remove it, but the government still use it, and they use it for their statistics, uh, their reasons, but there is a definite movement to uh, remove it entirely. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it's not here nor there, but there's actually a Camisa Museum opening up soon in Cape Town. Oh, okay. Sure. I had no idea about that. And, um, did... Oh. So, so, so those are my forebears. So my forebears would have been slaves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying, actually. Yeah. The, the slaves from Malaysia and Indonesia. Yeah. yeah. Does that make up majority of Kamisa people? Because also yes. Kamisa people are also some, some are more, or more Indian, some are yes. more um, native African, um, some are white. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. So like Kamisa colored is a, is, a, is a good mixture, right? Yes. Yeah, because they uh, colored as I think this, but oh, more than ten, probably up to twenty categories of colors. Yeah, exactly, right. Like there's some that are pretty much look like tan Indian, white people, yes. and some that look like well fair black people. Yes. It's like well, um, yeah. I was uh, on my ID document. I was Malay. Now the Afrikaans word for Malay is Malayer. Mm -hmm. If you look at the spelling, it's M A L. E I E R Mal Ayer Mal Ayer <laughs> Mad Egg <laughs> And I always wanted it to be translated into English as Mad Egg <laughs> and, and it wasn't allowed so there So, so most of your background is, is Malaysian? Yes, that's correct yeah. um, My linguistic style is Malaysian Indonesian yeah. um, That's how I grew up And when I went to school I couldn't speak proper English. Well, I couldn't speak English at all, and I couldn't speak proper Afrikaans. Really? 
So, yeah. sorry, your first language was? Was uh, Cape Flats linguistic style. Yeah, okay, you know? so a mixture of both Afrikaans and English. And Malaysian words. And Malaysian words Malaysian as well. Words, yes, as well. I um, had no idea that Malaysian linguistics influenced South African um, colored people. I thought I thought it was just the, the, like the genetics, you know? I thought it was too far back. Well, because our ancestors were slaves, they developed a secret language, which is a language that we were born with. We didn't know that it was designed um, by our ancestors in order to um, have secrets from their bosses or their masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I came to Australia, Australia has a style to take the piss out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> My heritage is that. So I've, I, I, you know, gelled very easily and I could take the mickey out of anything or anybody quite naturally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was a, a, a perfect fit if you might. But that taking the mickey is from my Cape Flats heritage. Yeah. And, and where did you um, where did you come to Australia? We came in 1979. 1979. Long time ago. Sure. <laughs> so um, take me back to, yeah. to, to Cape Town. Where where in Cape Town are you from? Uh, from from a place called Bridgetown. So when I was born, we were homeless. Yeah. And for the first year, we lived on a room or of a common. Yep. That was everywhere, District 6 and Evans, those were. So we finally found a house 18 months later, a council house in an area called Bridgetown, which is close to Langa, which is close to the Cape Town Airport. Mm -hmm. And very much in the bush there, very poor, and no income, no food, nothing. And so my mum uh, went to the uh, textile factories, to get the cut off fabric. They get a cut off fabric? Yeah, from the rubbish. The, oh, okay, the, yeah, the, yeah. The redundant cut off pieces of fabric that they waste. So, waste fabric. Yeah. And she would make children's clothing out of it, and that's how we survived. Oh, she would sell the clothing? Yes, she would sell oh. them. Well, we, yeah, she sold it and we sold it. And so, <laughs> when, when I discovered myself, I was selling children's clothing. Yep, and how children. old were you when you were doing that? Ah. Six, seven, eight. Oh, true. I see. Yeah. Young. And how many? How many brothers and sisters did you have at the time? Uh, we are uh, six. Yeah. I'm the youngest, and I've always been the youngest, of course. Was, mm -hmm. oh, um, my dad died in October, and I was born in November. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when he died, we lost a very comfortable home and car and everything, and my mum was homeless. But why so, did? Why did you lose it? Uh, my dad was a gambler. Oh, and I see. He lost everything. And then, in bad timing, got a heart attack and died as well. And so my mum was just left with... To suffer the consequences of his gambling? Yes, and um, I was born a month later. And so, I'm the shortest of the siblings. And I think I was malnourished for my oh, first two years. Oh, I see. Yeah. So and you think that affected your growth? Ongoing? It affected my growth. But it also, um, I think, made my... Um, system very strong, strong against infections and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I can survive quite well. Yeah, you could cope with anything from a young age. Yes. And um, so, do you think that early experience selling clothes, doing it hard, homeless on the streets when you were yeah. from a young age, do you think that set you up 
Like, did you decide then that you, you want to um, do better in life? Or did you not think it was possible at the time? Or? It made me insecure. And so, um, and made me question the system. And so, I didn't think of it as, uh, be, be, better is not probably the appropriate word, because I don't understand better. Better is competition. Uh, when you're in survival mode, competition is removed. For you, it's just, how can I find food? How can I find accommodation? And so, there's no competition. It's yeah. just a cyclical thing of, um, I need to get through this door called matriculation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need, Which for, for people outside of South Africa, that's your, your grade 12 or yes, your grade OP. 12, yeah, yes. continue. And then I need this thing called a degree mm-hmm. to get a good salary. So we have to do that. And it's a matter of what are the boxes I need to tick in order to get security in life. Yeah. And, and that is from a basis of insecure. And oh, so from a, all that success that you've achieved since then, you think started with a base, from a base of insecurity? Yeah, still. <laughs> yeah, true. What, do you feel like you're trying to, I don't, you, I don't know, you, you trying to like keep making yourself better in the eyes of society or? No, not in society. If, if I were on an island all alone, yeah. I'll be able to build a house for myself. And that's not to compete with society. It is, what do I need in order to withstand this rain or whatever, yeah. and how do I get food? So, so my insecurity is based on how I viewed my mother and how she survived and how she struggled. And I want to make sure that I don't struggle like that. Yeah. So, so yes, I went to university um, more to find a good job. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you, you just been to my house. Yeah, beautiful house, actually. Oh, thank you. And... Built it 100% by yourself. Yeah, and I had to do it again, and again, and again, and again. And I, and I questioned... We got five houses. And I questioned... You five houses? Yes. And you built them all yourself? I didn't build all... That's the only one I built. The others I bought, built, and we renovated ourselves. We built the kitchens and so on. All in Australia? Yes. Oh, okay. And... and it's not so much that we need those. Can you see the insecurity I have? Yeah, you're trying to you, you're trying to do everything you can to make sure you don't get back to where you were when you started, right? That's it. Um, and those obviously those five houses are just for rent, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'll never see a pension. Yeah, that's but that's brilliant. You don't want to, you know. You have you've got assets that are always going to be bringing in bringing in yeah. income for yes. whenever you need and. But the question is, why bother? So the why bother is from being hungry as a kid. Yeah, like literally hungry. Literally no. hungry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. constantly hungry. Yeah. And, and I have to share this with you. So when I went to primary school, I was totally embarrassed about my poverty. Yeah. So much so that I would be as hungry as anything and not take the school feeding handouts so that the other kids can see I'm hungry. Oh, okay. So you wanted to act like you were yes. you were sorted. Isn't that sad? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, in a way, don't you think that that 
the fact that you actually know what it feels like to be hungry is the reason why you've, I guess, in a way, like I, I talked about on my last podcast, that there's so many different justifications of, of success. Yeah. But um, the reason why you succeeded in a way is because you actually felt what it's like to be hungry. Where I feel like a lot of people I know in Australia and around the world that are living very privileged lives and 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 have it easy. You know what I mean? They yes. do nothing, but they think that they're they think that they're struggling, but the government yeah. takes care of them, and they can make they'll make every excuse in the book why they can't. They actually haven't felt. I haven't either. You know, my parents yeah. have always taken care of me. They actually haven't felt what it's like to be hungry, and I feel like they could use that. They could, yeah. if they felt what it's like to be truly hungry for a month, they yeah. might they'll come back and yeah. realize how lucky they are yes. and, and start moving forward. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's all relative, and you're right. Some people um, don't know what it is to be hungry. But don't so, so don't you think that that was in a way building blocks to who you are today? Yeah, one hundred percent. I spent thirty four years um, working for tape, being a, a tutor for tape, and. And my colleagues would find situations stressful that I wouldn't yeah. find stressful at all because my comparison was life and death. Yeah. And their comparison was different. So so I never found anything stressful at all. And still don't. That's brilliant. So like that's why I don't know, this is weird, but in a way I've always somewhat craved poverty. And that might sound yes. horrible because, and maybe it's a, a reflection of my 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 privileged life. But I've always thought, I've always seen really strong people that have gone through tough times. People I know today, even in Australia, you know what I mean. Yeah. And they've come through it and they've learnt a lot, you know. Yeah. And I've always thought that's what I need. I need to go through okay. a tough time yeah. to be able to get to that next level. Yes. But I, go on. I have to justify this. Um, when I was very poor, I didn't know I was very poor because I just knew I am where I am. Then fortunately, my life grew every year to better, better, better and still growing better, right? So, so because there's been a constant improvement from where I am today and I reflect back, then I can say, yes, I was poor, I was hungry, of course. That's the honest truth. But. At that time, when I was there, I didn't compare with saying I want to be somewhere else. It makes sense. Yeah. It was what what is the norm? This is the norm for me today. That was the norm for me then. So, because it was the norm for you, you didn't feel like you were missing out. No, not at all. Um, in fact, it was um, it was a fantastic time um, because. You constantly had to problem solve, you had to think outside the square, you had to find a way to to see the day through. Um, and that got you, became an awareness at a young age and our problem solving abilities is probably much more acute because it was little playtime, I suppose, but you had to go and find wood and chop wood up. And, yeah. and <laughs> Do those things. So yeah, you were too busy surviving to. Yeah, but you don't. You're not comparing because you don't know any different. Yeah. Um. Um. And where? So, come. Your education in South Africa then. Um. Clearly, in you matriculated. So, um. Where did you go to school? Okay. So I went to Bridgetown East Primary School. Yeah. 
a very controversial school. There was a Dalsy September teaching there, mm-hmm. and that's another story. Um, and uh, I did well in primary school. Went to a high school called Athlone High School. Did terrible. Yeah. And my every year was in the um, worst year. So standard six was six C, standard seven, standard eight, and nine. Always, you know, with the repeats. Yeah. And the naughty kids, and failed standard nine, and had a dismal pass in standard ten. Like pathetic pass. That's grade twelve, right? Grade twelve. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and weird as it is was given up as a pretty hopeless high school kid by the teachers Um, because why do you think it is you just passed and you did like um, you didn't do too well um, when my dad was alive and my parents lived in a place called Rondebosch which is an affluent suburb yeah and our neighbours were the principal of the high school and a few other teachers. And then when we lost all that and ended up in the bush and then bridged down, those people rejected us. Yeah. So my mum put us in this high school called Athlone High School where S.V. Peterson was the principal and he hated us. He mm-hmm. particularly hated me because I was the last one to come through his school. Yeah. Um, we weren't that type that he wanted at the school and he made it very clear so much so that when I was in my year 11 he expelled me all for two hours when my mom took, took me back and gave him hell so he <laughs> took him back <laughs> but um, I wasn't going to graduate with you know colourful um, academic achievements I had pathetic academic achievements but then that changed when you went to university yeah Oh, okay. Because I'm not a rote learner. I couldn't. I couldn't learn rote. I still can't learn rote. Yeah, you're a kinesthetic learner. Yes. Oh, okay. I see. And you know, things have to make sense, and I have to analyze it. Um, and so, repetitive rote learning, which is the system we were taught, was the worst for me. Yeah, it's still going on today, and I think people are realizing that. And a few alternative schools are coming up. Yes. That are focusing on on how people learn. Yeah. As opposed to just you know repetitive. Just learn the book, do yeah. the exam, forget everything you learned in the book. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and give accolades for the ones with the best memory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that didn't work for me. But yeah. when I went to university, I discovered real learning, different learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just jowled, it just worked, and it was fabulous. Yeah. Um, and as forever, being, you know, academia has been wonderful to me. Um, but yeah, uh, so I belong to my high school alumni yeah but are oh, you still do I still do and have you gone back to South Africa and, and like had a reunion with them um uh, the, the answer is no okay I boycotted the reunion oh, right. but but I'm I'm friends with all my school friends oh okay but I don't agree with the school system because we were taught by the cane yep <laughs> Yeah, I'm aware of that. My and, father told me about that. And um, I don't think our, our school offered me much. And so I want to be honest with that. But the school doesn't allow it to be honest. So according to the school, 
I'm successful because of the canings. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they can stick it. <laughs> so, so I've been very honest and want to be honest. I, yeah, you can keep going. Yeah. Um, but so then after, don't you think there's some benefit to the cane? Like, I mean, I get a corporal punishment in general. Yeah. Don't you think some kids like responded well to it to some degree? Like in Australia now, like you can't yeah. touch your kids, but I'm sure there's some international parents that do it yeah. behind closed doors. Yes. Because I was definitely hit as a kid. Not drawn no blood drawn or anything but i i think i needed it to be honest <laughs> Same, yeah. i was I, like um not by not by teachers no. but by my parents but they didn't like abuse me you know but if i if i like mistreated someone or lied yeah. or something like that like um f for me i i in in retrospect the only way i seemed to listen was was if I felt the, the physical pain, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm not saying it's the only solution, but um, and or the best one. But w what do you think about corporal punishment in general? Okay. Do you think there's a time and place for it? Um, gosh, that's that's a very hard question. There is a negativity for, for the people who abuse it. Um, mm -hmm. If used correctly, of course, there's a lot to gain. Mm -hmm. But. Because it lends itself to abuse. Yeah, it's not it's, it's, it's not far from yeah. corporal punishment straight to abuse, yeah. Yeah, I had an Afrikaans teacher. Mm -hmm. um, Wakefield was his surname, and I, and I wish to name him. He would walk into the classroom, write a sentence on the board with a either spelling mistake or grammatical mistake. Mm -hmm. Give me a piece of chalk, and another boy, Abdul Osman, a piece of chalk, the two of us. And we go to the board and we have to rectify it. Always you two? Always us two. Now, before the lesson starts, he does that first. But why did he pick you two individually, well, specifically? Well, he would beat us until we find the mistake. Literally beat you, right? With what? A cane. Oh, okay. Back, legs, everywhere. Anyway, then it got so bad that the kids would call out the mistake to us and we'll fix it. But what happened, six months of doing that, Abdul left. Yeah. And I was left alone. Mm -hmm. And he did it to me for another six months. Every day? Every day, before he starts the lesson. Why only you? I discovered because we were Muslim. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. And according to him, he tried to get rid of us. Yep. Yeah. He's also in Australia. Oh, have you met with him now? No. So, so recently... Now, remember Abdul left? Yeah. I found Abdul on Facebook. Yeah. And I wanted him to recall this to me and say, you know, like, what happened? And he said to me something very interesting. He said, yeah, he said it happened, but hey, we were probably naughty and deserve it, and I forgot about it. Like, you know, I took it out of my mind. Mm -hmm. He went to work with his dad. And I, and I thought about it because I was carrying it as a chip on my shoulder. Like, I will show this bugger that he's not going to get rid of me, right? But for those people, there is an abuse. For those people, it's best just to forget them, don't give them ownership, and mark it as just you know one of those cyclical things where you have storms and then you have sunshine again. You know, so yeah. let it be. Um, yeah, it, 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 it left me angry for a long time, but we we 
have to get through those storms. Yep. Um, and how do you know he's in Australia? Um, so I belong to an anti-apartheid movement where we record, you know, all these uh, demonstrations against apartheid and so on, just as a historical fact. And his wife, Sybil, belonged to that movement. Really? But she, but she, she refused to talk about him. He's, and we, we commonly called him Bori because, you know, he had a red neck. He was Afrikaans looking, mm -hmm. probably Afrikaans, but his Wakefield was his surname. Um, big, you know. And, and they were crazy because we were just kids. And, and because he felt he hated Muslims, so he takes it out on the kids. Just nutcases. Yeah, no, are, you, um, are you still Muslim? Um, well, I'm married to a Catholic lady and I'm, I'm non-practicing. So I, yep. I think the answer to that is no, um, because I'm non-practicing. But um, do you subscribe to any religion? We'll come to that later. But, not, um, not really. Well, I, I, I like to think of that our, our attitude towards religion is only 2,000 years old, but we, humans have been here for 50,000 years. Yeah, but also the other religions arguably have been here for 15,000 yes. 15, years, and I think there's always been some yes. faith that somebody's believed in, but you're talking specifically about the Abrahamic religions, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I make lots of discovery with the Australian Aborigines right now. And I'm forever learning something new with the Australian Aborigines. About their spiritual beliefs? Yes, yeah. that's powerful yeah, and yeah. deep mm. and makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, it resonates with me a lot as well. It's a lot about, I don't know if it is being practiced by the majority of Aboriginals anymore no. or the ones that are yeah. left. But um, I, I, it, it, I like the fact that it focuses on nature yes, and mo Earth. movement. Yes. And um, that's one of the reasons why they were nomadic. Yeah. Um, keep moving so that land where you were living before can regrow. Yes. And it's something that most humans now don't care about or focus on. I mean, there's still a lot of wild land, yeah. but we definitely pillage as much as we can. Yes, and, and it's not capitalistic. Oh, the, the original yeah. Arab, uh, yeah. Aboriginal yeah. Um, yeah, you can't own, own Mother Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, um, yeah, no, it's and it's kind of, it's not that dissimilar to the, the original island religions, like yes. in the Pacific Islands yes. and as far up as the Andaman Islands and yes. so on. It's not that different to that from those. Yeah, so... But, but, yeah, anyways. Yeah, so I hate being put in a box. Yeah. Um, we, we have to remove those boxes and be free. Yeah, and... Yeah, I like that. I need to as well. I think, not even thinking about it, I think I do put too many people in boxes as well, but yeah. I, I need to be more aware of that. So coming back to your story, yeah. um, how did you afford that? Like, was this your high school free? Or did your, did your mother get back on her feet with... Um, okay, yeah. I paid my way by caddying, golf caddying. Your, your high school? Yes. You high paid school. your own high school? Yes. Uh, a golf caddy. Yeah. Every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays, I was a golf caddy. Um, until year 11, mm -hmm. when I got a job at the general post office sorting party, uh, parcels. Oh, okay. Uh, was it easy to get a job as a non-white person in South Africa at the time? Yeah, it's a labourer. You, oh, you, okay. you, you, 
it was supposed to be laborers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That and was your yeah, your role. That was my role, and so yes, um, it was easy to get the laborers role. And um, in your school, obviously, everybody was non-white. Yes, they were non-white, but they were children of teachers. And remember, we came from a council house, so I was the only one going in the left direction with the bus when mm -hmm. all the kids were across the road taking the bus to the other direction oh, okay. across so, the railway line. So they were affluent students? Yes, in comparison. With, yes. Yeah, in relative to what you... Yeah. And um, all the teachers were white? No, uh, um, the mon minority were white. Uh, majority were uh, so-called colored, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, what, what's, what's the... the Camisa. 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 Okay. Yeah. And... Um, did, uh, so, so just to like the viewers that are unaware, you grew up in apartheid South Africa. Yes. Can you explain a little bit about apartheid and, and what it was like for you and for people of all different colors, for the viewers that yes. or listeners well, that don't know? Um, we were discouraged to get an education. So we only had a few schools. When you say we, who do you mean? Uh, uh, the, the colored population, the oh, okay. Kamisa, the, um, the descendants of slaves were discouraged to get an education. So our schooling system was designed as a culling system. And the cull was on a yearly basis. So in order to get from one year to the next, you had a questionnaire exam. And every year? Every year. Standard, next standard, next standard. Yes. You have to do this exam, okay. You had to do that exam. And that exam was actually a cull because there was no facilities for the next group so every group was halved oh okay yeah so it was literally survival of the fittest if you made it to grade 12 yes it was you, survival of the fittest yes. you went through a halving every but my survival was at the expense of probably about 20 maybe 30 people so each one of us had to was survive where when 20 people paid the expense. Yeah, well, you mean survivors and stay in the schooling system? Stay in the schooling system at the cost of many others. Yeah. Uh, and, oh. and so we need a level of honesty for that, which my high school doesn't have. Um, and they also have this elitism where students are grouped in terms of hierarchical uh, levels depending on what their parents do so obviously I was the bottom rung of that at, well, at all times how did you even make it to grade 12 it seems like you were swimming upstream yeah I, I, well how did I make it I don't know arrogance I think is the word no oh, okay um, I just pushed my way through yeah um, yeah so um so so what can you just explain to the, the listeners what yeah. is apartheid Apartheid is a, uh, a, is a grouping of people, it's called, another word for it, is separate development, but, but the separate development where the, the fair-skinned people, the pale-skinned people, get all the education and development, and the other groups get very little, so mm -hmm. very little funding for education, and, and then we have a tiered system of jobs, so my group, were the servants and the factory workers, um, supervisors, but not managers. Um, and that's where we stopped. So a senior position for me 
at the height of my achievement would have been a supervisor maybe in a factory but you're because you were um like like a, because you were camisa yeah um were you allowed to be were, was your potential to grow higher than black people yes that's we were we were at a higher tier than yeah, what we, black people were put at yes um our accommodation was better yeah um the black people were separated they and the black people had to have a pass oh you didn't have to have a dom pass no i no i didn't have to have a, a, a uh, dom pass oh, okay um i had an id document yeah um and uh we still had to go to separate doors and you know at the post office you have a separate door did you still have to go to the non-white toilets <laughs> no, there's normally no toilets for non-whites. Oh, I, I don't know what they do. <laughs> oh, okay, true. So where would you go to the toilet in the public? I have no idea. I can't remember. We we we, we just didn't go to the toilet. There was no toilets. You just oh. pinch until you get home. Oh, I see. <laughs> um, and what what exactly you mentioned before? This um, black people had to have a pass. What um, what pass did black people have to have? Black people had to have permission to be in a geographic location at all times. Yeah. So, if they were caught in a certain area, they needed permission from an employer to be in that area. Uh, yeah. or, or else they were prison. I remember in early 1970s, seeing a police car stop to interview a black woman who had a child. The child could have been about four, maybe five. And they arrested the woman, leaving the child stranded on the pavement. That sight will always be with me. And the poor kid was like wondering what next. And the woman was put in the back of the police car and driven away. Because she was out of her geographical area without yes. a pass. Yes, that's correct. So, um, my, me and my siblings went to university. And they went to university. And so, because we had aspirations to be outside our chosen uh, professional areas in my multi mm. profession I think career whatever you call it um, we were labeled as communists and so that opened up an entirely new box of police investigations police harassment etc because how dare you want to be something different than you were <laughs> than what you've chosen. been allocated yes yeah. so was it like I've talked to some people who are pro-apartheid? Well, yes. not necessarily pro, but they yeah. they they talk about how okay. how much how good it was. Yeah, how good it was, yeah. and and how much order South Africa was in back then. Yeah. And then they they compare it to South Africa's modern day quite corrupt government. Yes. And um and they say look how much chaos is now, and this is why. Yes. And th this is other people telling me. Yeah. They tell me that this is why black people shouldn't be controlling the country yes. because they don't know how to, and it's chaotic. Yes. Right. Do you think? Relating to that question, do you think that it was South Africa was in more order back then? It was, but then the population was 20 million. Now it's yeah. 67 million. Yeah, exactly. And, That's including and, uh, so many illegal immigrants as well. Yes, right? and so the dynamics is totally different. Yeah, um, and not only was the population 20 million, really, only the small white population of two, maybe three million mattered so of course it's going to be order but you know it's, it's, it was easier to control uh, a country where most of the white population worked for the government anyway um, 
and yeah. and the rest of South Africa were the laborers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get you. And also, I don't know, I could be wrong, but do you feel like that? I mean, if your if your education system was a system designed to cull people, right, and yes. encourage you not to get educated, what was the education for black people like? Oh, it hardly existed. So that's what. Um, like I feel like that education system now that it's equal rights and everybody's got yes. the ability to work and also a lot of the the people in power grew up in that generation who who are of uh, black skin color they they didn't receive the education like that's going to equip them to be good leaders I don't think but I don't definitely, know, I, definitely I mean that is reality and and we don't have many international states people being leaders um, there, there's a whole series of underqualified people and and also there's this whole trend in I think in South Africa of misrepresenting one's qualifications yeah yeah for sure you know I think the photocopy machines work overtime there <laughs> <laughs> do you think do you think there's a specific reason why there's so much of that like like corruption, um, corruption? yeah um, I don't know. It's it's just attitudes because they can because um, you know if it's there, it's there for the taking. I I fully don't understand it. You don't think uh, it's because of um, and I'm just like yeah trying to dig deeper into uh, yeah. arguments from the other side of yes. what people tell me. You don't think it's because of a DNA trait or skin color? Somebody told me that the other day. I I I don't know. I remember being having an argument when I left South Africa the very first time to study in London yeah with somebody sitting next to me on the plane saying that you know we shouldn't be allowed to further our education and I said look at me and he said you're different and, and I always wonder why am I I'm not different I am equal we, we're yeah. all the same and and I thought that's a cop-out you know so yeah. so you can use that difference in terms of uh, for better or for worse, mm -hmm. I think that's a cop-out. I, I, I think if you leave a honey jar open for too long, somebody's going to dip into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the way it is. Maybe the honey jar is not being controlled properly. It's true. Yeah? Do you think it's being controlled properly here in Australia? No, not, not, not at federal level. Maybe at state level because we have ICAC. But yeah. there's no federal ICAC. Yeah. So that's, that's the Independent Commission Against Corruption. So, oh, so you think there's a, a decent amount of corruption at a federal level in Australia? Oh, total. Total. It's, it's, it's just gone crazy. Um, coming back to your, your story, um, yeah. so you, you just mentioned you went to university in London. Yeah. So how did you get from finishing high school in South Africa in Bridgetown? Yeah to getting to university in London okay. during apartheid South Africa like and how were you allowed to leave if you if you weren't allowed to get a certain job why would they let you leave the country oh okay so I, I was in the library white library reading about dental technology were you allowed in the white library no I used to just go in there sit quietly and read books and then misfile the books on purpose so I can read it tomorrow Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. but, but, but why were you allowed it in the first place? Um, the, 
librarians were kind of, you know, if you're quiet, they won't leave you alone. So, oh, okay. So I used to go to the wine book library. Yeah. Uh, only because there's better books. But uh, so I read about dental technology. Mm-hmm. And I read about maxillofacial technology that's doing eyes and ears and, um, you know, noses. Yep. And discovered... Reconstruction. Yeah, right? reconstruction. Yep. And, and I discovered, but I've been carving things all my life. As long as I can remember, I've been carving wood, whatever, you know, I can put my hands on, I would carve. I just have a sensory feeling for shape and mm-hmm. form and color. And, and all my brothers can paint, all my nieces and nephews can paint. We just have a perception for color, for paint. So I knew I could carve. And I just said, that's what I want to do. When oh, you read about it? When I, I read about it. Yeah, okay. Problem was, I then looked for a university or college that will allow me to do it. It was one in Pretoria. I applied and they told me, no, this institution is for whites only. And then I wrote to the board, the dental board, and they said um, that all the institutions are whites only. So, so then you can't do it. Because that job was above your level? Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a, called the Job Reservation Act. It was an act of parliament that made that job whites only. Oh, okay. Okay, so, so if you try to do it, you're breaking the law. Yep. Okay, so my alternate was to find an overseas institution. And I applied to many, uh, more than 20, 20 odd institutions I just wrote letters and wrote letters and wrote letters and and each of them was a knockback knockback as you do and then finally University of London South London College accepted me really yeah but with what um, University of South London with what down payment okay so yes with down payment Um, I never had money I did have an uncle in London that uh, did the down payment for me and I paid him back. Oh, okay. Yeah. When did yeah. your uncle move to London? Um, 1960s. Um, he was lived in District 6. Things were bad. He was forming a, um, uh, uh, he, uh, he was associating with gangs and one way to save him was to send him outside South Africa. So he left in the 1960s. Oh, okay. Um, early 1960s so he was there and he made the down payment for me that's so so and you paid him back when you were in london yes as an i was working as a night watchman oh okay a night watchman yeah where okay they got uh for a company called acon security acon security mm-hmm. and um we were looking after buildings until 11 o'clock at night because the pubs close at half past ten, yeah. making sure that nobody breaks windows or whatever. Oh, okay, I see. So, so, so that was my job. But so, how did you g- like? How did you leave South Africa? Okay. If you weren't allowed to do any of the other stuff here. Yeah. So, first of all, I had to get a passport. Yeah. That's very difficult and to get. At the South time, non-white people or black people weren't allowed passports. That's correct. And but you were allowed passport. After much effort, I remember having a big argument with them and it's not a good idea to argue with authorities in South Africa. Mm-hmm. They were, I was 20 and they wanted my father's signature. My father was dead 
20 years already. Yeah. And I kept on telling them and they kept on insisting, you know, like, and I finally said, I'm just going to make up a signature and you won't know any different. <laughs> you know, and then they allowed me. Okay. And then we were allowed to go under interview. And then you had to have a dress rehearsal to make sure that you give the right responses. Now, during those times, to be pro-apartheid, I suppose, or give answers reflecting your pro-apartheid is a good thing. Yep. So you kind of, you know, fib and, yeah. and say that you're not interested in politics or may be apolitical and all. You're just playing a game and there's three people who interview you and you just play a game with them. And what, that, that, that is there to make sure that when you do leave the country, you're not going to, I don't know, start some movement against apartheid or something or, like yeah. that? Yeah, I remember in my time it was go to Russia. You have to make sure you're not going to Russia. Why Russia? Um, there was a big anti-communist uh, ambience, if you might. Because communism, like, um, talked about equality among people or something? Pro probably, or trained um, the, the, the um, opposing forces for the apartheid regime. Yep. You know? So, so, so whatever you had to do. So, I had a strange passport where I could only go to England. Which is very weird telling you we can only go to this country. <laughs> and so off I went. And you were lucky enough that that's the one university that accepted you? Yes. Was in England, okay. Yes, so, so I went there and I studied dental technology and then did maxillofacial. In what year? Uh, 1974. 1974. 74, 75, 76 and finished 77. And how did you go with university in London? Fantastic. Actually, I, I had distinctions all the time. Really? Not True. because I'm clever, um, don't get me wrong, because I understood the work mm -hmm. and I could explain myself and I could carve and I could relate to colors. Yeah. Um, and um, I was, for the first time, above or better than most people, only because that is what I do. And your English level was... Was was, satis was was good enough at the yeah, time? Yeah, I need to step back because remember I had a very bad ten or, or year 12 pass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I couldn't call the pass, like 33% wasn't a pass. <laughs> okay. So they are, they chose my subjects as A-levels. Yeah. And at the time, if you had six A-levels, because you only did four in England, that was amazing. And so I had to study uh, chemistry and physics and maths with I did high school chemistry physics and maths whilst being at university if that makes sense I, I did both because my education didn't give me chemistry physics and oh maths. I see so you did a lot of your high school qualifications while you were at university A levels yes so then why did how did University of London accept you if you didn't have any of those A levels I didn't have the subjects they needed, but I had six A-levels according to them and they were going to take me on because, hey, it's six. Yeah, okay. okay but it was rubbish subjects. Yeah. <laughs> six, Afrikaans. I mean, yeah. You know, English. I mean, I did those two. Woodwork. Yeah. You know, it's uh, bookkeeping. Those were my subjects. So, so they were kind enough to take me on. It was just the start of international students and they were creating this new market for international students, it was more, you know, um, opening up to international students. We were probably the first international students there. 
And what, who, who else was there? I mean, from uh, which other countries? Africa, South America, um, Europe. Um, I was the only one from South Africa, of course, in Africa. Uh, oh, no, there was also one Nigerian there. Oh, okay. And how, how was, what was the environment like in the university? Did you, did you experience any, um, like, racism or anything like that? No. Like, similar to what you experienced in South Africa? Uh, or very, any no, people very, putting you in boxes or something? No, not at all. I, oh, okay. I remember... In the 70s? Yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing for the first time the garbage collectors in London being white. Oh, and you I were thinking... I couldn't huh? believe it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I was treated very normal. and But I was treated the way I would treat people. I never saw colour. I didn't see white. I was, you know, I didn't see coloured. I didn't see black I just saw people and so it was all of a sudden normal um, the education in South Africa was um, a mal education it was you know just a sick a sick education and fortunately my system never accepted it yeah um, and then for the first time I had normality yeah when you were in London yeah and did um, but you, when you were there, you had no intention to stay after your degree. I was unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the West End. Yeah. I love the theatre. I didn't like the um, competition, the work competition. It's I, the same in most big cities, right? Yeah, but uh, Sydney is easy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, a small population. Yeah, compared to London, for yeah. sure. So I, I couldn't see Still. myself being highly competitive. And so it's a matter of, you know, I wanted to do what I want to do, which is maximum facial work. Yep. Um, and so I needed another place to go and see where I can do it. Canada, maybe. Um, Holland. I love, I love Holland. But at the time when you came back from South Africa in 1970, I mean, from... End of of 76, yeah. You you came back to to South Africa, right? At the time, you were still only allowed to go to England with your passport. Oh, I broke that quite easily. I went to Europe. I went to Spain and France. And what, you didn't suffer any consequences when you got back to South Africa? No. No, no. There was no no, um, consequences. I remember my very first thing. Remember, they, they decided that we were communists. So when I went to London, my very first book I bought wasn't my textbook. I should have bought my textbook. But it was Marty Tung's Little Red Book. That was my first book I wanted to read. Marty Tung? Who's that? Marty Tung was the leader of Chinese communism. Oh, okay. And yeah. that, this was the worst book you could buy. And so I wanted to read, what is this damn book? That's communism. Yeah, you know, that I'm not supposed to read. And then I read it and I threw it away and I thought it was garbage. Yeah. And I thought, no, I didn't. I, 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 I kept it and I came back. I, I took it to South Africa because I wanted to debate why this is so important in South Africa where, you know, you must never open this book when it's absolute for me, it was crap. Yeah. And, and then I went through customs and nothing happened to me. So they, didn't, they saw the book? Uh, well, they saw all my textbooks and didn't Yeah, they just assumed them. it was another textbook, maybe. Yeah. And then I threw it away in South Africa. I uh, 
where um all right where am yeah, i now no. um so when you when you came to australia like you left south africa yeah. to come to australia yes right your your part like did they let you leave the country uh, like uh, easily no. or did yeah, you have to oh no then it was easy so because you already left before or, or what um no because australia accepted me oh okay so i applied for immigration yep and those years so the point system just came out yep you had to have 20 points and fortunately i had my 20 points because of the degree you just did because of the degree because of the english okay um and so on and so yes we off we went and it was easy how many years did it take to get your australian citizenship uh two and a half years two yeah. and a half years it took me four now isn't it for oh now it's now it's close to 10 years yeah 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 now it's a long no. time oh, then it was easy yeah and even when i got here in 2006 i mean i didn't have to do anything my parents yeah. did all the work all the point system and stuff but i think we were here for four five years and we got our passports yes um which was yeah short term compared to now now it can take you like depending on what yeah. skill you have but it can take you even 15 years yeah yeah. Isn't this beautiful? It's amazing. I love it. Now, this is my drive to work. Yeah. <laughs> Heaven. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, I love these rolling green hills. Yeah. It's just constant green. Yeah. When you're in Cape Town, I'm from Cape Town, and you travel to Powell or Stellenbosch, mm -hmm. this is it's how it's beautiful it is. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love that area. Yeah. Uh, so, when you um, came to Australia, it was that was it? You decided you were going to stay here? Okay. So, yes. Well, yeah, it was absolute. This was where I'm going to settle, um, become Australian as soon as possible, and and this is going to be my new life. Yeah. Now I've been exceedingly lucky. Remember, I, we we were homeless when I was born, and every year was better, right? Mm -hmm. And I have to admit, in terms of timing, my I've been very fortunate with timing. Um, we just spoke about getting my. Australian citizenship in two and a half years time, perfect timing. So when I got here, there was the head of Sydney University dental faculty retired. Mm -hmm. He had to, he was 65. Yeah. And lo and behold, he wanted to stay. So they created a new department called special prosthetics for him. Right? And I joined, and so the two of us formed a team and I was head of the dental laboratory, but he was head of the section. This was in 1980? No, uh, nine, yeah, 1980. Okay. And so, Professor Cam Graham and I worked together for eight years, um, doing maxillofacial work. And during that time, this was taught as a subject in dental technology, mm -hmm. right? as a single subject. Just one subject. Yeah, but you but it's its own profession in, in itself. Yeah, sure, but yeah. but then when you study dental technology, you study a whole lot of different sections together. Okay. Uh, crown and bridge and orthodontics and yeah, yeah. prosthetics. So you all do together only at a probably small level. And then I became the night teacher in maxillofacial work. Okay. At, at the college. Yeah. Right. And then after eight years on eight months of doing this almost nine years a, a teaching post was advertised at TAFE TAFE stands for technical and further education 
it's like a it's like a technical college, college in technical South Africa. Technical college, yeah. Technical yeah, yeah. college. And I applied for it. I was advised to apply, and I thought, well, probably won't get it, and life will be beautiful, or I may get it. Then I have to make a decision, mm -hmm. right? So I'll only cross that bridge if I get it. As it turned out, I got it. Yeah. And then I had to make a very heavy decision to leave the dental hospital. And then I left the dental hospital and ended up being a tutor for 34 years doing that. For 34 years, yes. that was your main role? It was my main role, yes. At the TAFE? Well, um, then they removed maxillofacial from the curriculum. And then I, I became a clinician during that time. Um, and then I taught uh, the clinical aspects, like patients. Yep. Yeah, of dental technology. So when did you come to, um, when did you get involved with uh, the University of Sydney? So about nine years ago, they wanted to offer dentures mm -hmm. to indigenous people in the outback. Yeah. And they uh, headhunted people who they knew. I was already doing free dentures for homeless people here. Oh, okay. And, um, and people who have no documentation, who end up in hospital, I would go into hospital and make them free dentures. I still do it, but yeah. that's what I was doing. And then uh, they knew, or my colleagues knew, and so when they were headhunting, um, my name was put forward by colleagues, and then they asked me to work for them for three years, and I said, no, I don't work for anybody for three-year contract, that's stupid. And then they um, kind of baited me with an associateship, etc. And ever since I've been running the denture clinics. For, for free? Completely volunteer? Complete volunteer. I do about, for them, about 100 free dentures per annum. For nine years? How many hours a year is that? Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> or how many hours a week? Okay, so I spend one, one week per four, well, I used to spend one week per month yeah. in the early years. And the last two years, I spend one week per fortnight. So I skip a week and then go in one week in the bush and then skip a week and the next week in the bush. Oh, just all rural areas. Yeah, far, so, far, very far flung areas. Yeah, so 26 weeks a year. Now, yes. You're giving away for free. For free. Your time. Yeah, but hey, I'm going to show you a practice where we earn on a very slow day, we earn $4,000. On a busy day, we're on 10,000. So this is where we're going now, actually. Yeah. We're on our way from Sydney yeah. to Vincentia. And I was gifted this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. Oh, that's right. So so I just need for a comfortable living one day a week. Okay. Um, you know, I won't be a millionaire, but hey, I'll have enough money to buy um, fish and chips on a Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and enough money to live. That's, that's incredible that you devote half your year and and previously i guess one quarter of your year to um to, to volunteer work that's 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 amazing but that's because maybe we should remove the word work <laughs> it's not work what is it it's having fun it's people that it's get having an experience yeah get four-wheel drives to go into the bush yeah i get paid well not paid um, they pay my airfares to go oh, into okay. the bush yeah you know and they um they, they're very nice to me and on my birthday in November last but year. But your all the expenses, the hotel, the, yes. the, like everything's paid to go. Yeah, okay. Yes, they cover all my expenses. Okay. And um, I don't have to spend any money. I was in a remote area in my birthday 
in November last year, and somehow they, I think they flew a cake to him. It was ridiculous. Oh, really? They flew a cake to you? That's insane. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So, so rural areas. That's where I met you. I met you yeah. at the Mori Airport, Mori. and you were coming back from Bogabilla that That's day. right. Yeah. So when you get to these rural areas, yeah. are you dealing specifically with Aboriginal people? Yes. Um, so we got two tasks. We deal with Aboriginal people and um, we also take dentistry into outlying communities. There's a currently a very large distance between a dental career and a child growing up in the bush. Dental right. career? Or? Career. Yeah, career. okay, yeah, yeah. So what we do is we take dentistry into their local areas. So we kind of, I would make mouth guards for, for kids in a sort of a playful area, you know, so yeah. that that kid takes the mouth guard, goes home and talks about it, right? Yeah. That brings dentistry into their kitchen conversation. Yes. Right? By doing that, if any child then decides they want to uh, follow a dental career, then Sydney University will put up the scholarships and the bridging courses for that child. Only Aboriginal children? For the moment, only Aboriginal children because the funding is specifically for Aboriginal education. Yeah. Um, you know, they, 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 we're now working on enlarging it to the whole population because it's been very successful. They had, in last count two years ago, 30 odd PhDs on this program. So people are. Oh, PhD students volunteering no, for the program? Graduated. Oh, okay. PhD graduates. Really? That that started their careers from from a scholarship. Yes. Yeah, for, from the Sydney University. And then, and then followed into university studies, master's degrees, PhDs. Really? True. So it's been so successful. Very. Yeah. And, and I think. What's the program called? Or the the Posh Center for Indigenous Health. Posh Center. P O C H E. Yeah. And um, you should do, look at it. It's, it's, it's a very successful program. Where can people find that? Just, po just uh, Google internet, Post just Center. Google, yeah. So, so my task. I'll put that in the link as yeah, well. Yeah. So my task is to um, provide dentures to people who cannot come to the big cities, who don't have the money or whatever reason. How do you make the dentures when you're out there in the bush, or do you just do the measurements and then make it when you come back? No, I do it in the bush, all oh. there. In the, I've got a, a van that's equipped as a dental laboratory. Oh, okay, so the and van is there. Where's yeah. the van parked? Uh, in the bush. It's just stored there when you're not there? Oh, no, but now, yeah. uh, we take it to what's called the AMS, Aboriginal Medical Services. Yeah. And, and right this moment, it is going to Kunabara brand where I'll be next week. Oh, okay. So somebody drives it for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, do you, like, does it, growing up in South Africa yes. in, a, in, a, in a segregated society yes. where everybody was put in a box, now when you're working for the Aboriginal, like, health services, yeah. you know what I mean? Does yes. it bother you that it's boxing people? You know what I mean? That you're only oh, serving... That's a, that's a good question. That you're only serving Aboriginal people and not the whole community? Um, yes, it bothers me a lot. Yeah? Uh, yeah. Okay, can I just go off the point? Yeah, go for there's it. A, yeah. There's a drive in Cape Town that, that goes from False Bay to Cork Bay. Yeah. Just watch, the, you're going to see the water. It's exactly like that. Okay, it's just, it will be opening up in a second. And as you come in Cape Town, you see that. Wow. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. That's. 
and uh, yesterday the waves were breaking you know um, yeah it was quite wild scenes yesterday there's okay. beautiful cliffside as well yeah, those houses yeah. well. so, so, so coming back to your question sorry uh, does it bother me about boxing people because your, your organization is is doing that to some degree yes. I mean yes. there's justification for why they're yes. doing it but yes yeah from because of my background yeah. I've got a sensory perception of the ambience, the air. I can feel that the air is calm. I can feel that it, oh, hell is going to break loose any second. I have a feel in a group who's the most important elders. I can sense it, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we have the Defense Force dentists joining us, they always marvel at the way I can pick in a group who is the most important individual in that group, mm -hmm. right? And I would say to them, we need to greet this person or we need to serve this person first or we need to address this person as uncle or aunt, right? Yeah. And they can't work out, how did you work that out? I, I cannot explain it apart from as a sensory thing. I sense it. Right? Mm -hmm. Now that comes back from growing up in the bush where I did in Cape Town. Yeah. Okay. So, so I work out that it's still a hierarchical system, but it's more a respect for the elders. Yeah. And I can and here in Australia, the person may not dress the best or look the best or look impoverished or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you you cannot judge a person in the store in Australia by the way they dress or look yeah um, and then they may be from a very important lineage mm -hmm. okay for reasons I cannot explain but I can work it out yeah and communicate that to my colleagues yeah so 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 that's the only way I see that's useful and and today in Australia it's very difficult to pick an Aboriginal. They all look blonde and blue-eyed. Yeah, I know, right? Um, well, I've, I've met a lot of um, darker-skinned Aboriginals, but yes. when I, I've met a lot of people whiter than me, yes. and they tell me they're Aboriginal, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, yeah, maybe you're one twentieth <laughs> no. Aboriginal, yeah. but um, yeah. but they don't acknowledge the nineteen twentieth, no. like majority of the genetics, which yeah. is which is non-Aboriginal. Yeah, I remember it was about nine years ago. I was doing math cards to school kids mm -hmm. at the school. In, Bog in fact, in Bogabilla, it was Bogabilla. And I made several math cards for white kids, right? And yeah. the university was pretty angry with me. And then I said to them, there's no way in the world I'm going to deny a kid a math card. If they come to the, me, doesn't matter if they, you know, male, female, whatever, doesn't matter. If they want a mouth card, I'll give them a mouth card, right? I'll make it, mm -hmm. right? And I'm not going to segregate them. It's not going to happen. And the university gave in to my wishes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you changed something. Well, I don't know. It's just that those were my terms. Yeah. I'm, I'm the one giving the labor. Those are my terms. And mm -hmm. if you don't like it, well, tough luck. I like that. I like that. Because I, I, I think yeah. the a lot of the a lot of the schemes being put in place to yeah. to uplift Aboriginal communities I think yeah. is great but it's also driving a lot of anger from white Australia because yes. out in the country I've spent a bit of time there as yes. well 
uh, majority of the people are white and a lot of them um, resent Aboriginal people yes. because they feel like Aboriginal people get a complete free ride yes and and they they there's too many systems trying to advantage them and yes. they don't um, I don't know they don't appreciate the opportunity and so on and they feel like that it's 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 unfair and, treatment and expect it and probably feel a sense of entitlement yeah exactly and yes all, all of that but those are all negatives entitlement doesn't have to be a positive entitlement is a negative because it changed your behavior that's sad yeah yeah for sure and and, and, and so yeah so we need to address those things you know you, you you have to feel a sense of worth a sense of I've earned this not because it I'm was given to me no. yeah I feel like the Australian government enables not only Aboriginal people like I know so many people in the cities who yeah. live off social welfare yes um, white and refugees yeah. and like yeah. people of all different colors yes um, and all different backgrounds yes. so I, I feel like Australian government still offers a free ride to people who aren't capable of working yeah. maybe it's they give more benefits to Aboriginal people but do you believe that's warranted from Australia's history oh gosh that's, a, that's such a hard question I don't know um, because the Aborigines are the indigenous people yeah they and we have to always accept that they are the indigenous people but because they had enough food enough supplies accommodation they didn't have to go to war to fight to survive um, and so you mean like go and conquer Europe yeah yeah, yeah. As Europe conquered. Oh, you mean prior to the yeah. the English coming to Australia? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. And and so we just need to understand that about them, and then find a way to live with them because they are indigenous to this area. We have to acknowledge that at all times. But um, do you feel? Do you feel like there's there's a lot of I don't know, friction between Aboriginal Australia and white Australia in those areas? In rural Australia? Or not? Well, they live apart, don't they? Like you'll find... Yeah, there's one community yes, here and another yes. community there. So obviously that uh, there is no integration between the two. It's very clear. It's almost like South Africa in apartheid. Yeah, yeah. it is. I felt the same when I was and, there. And then you pick it up on the language. Um, the way language is used in the towns you know in the shopping centers and so on mm -hmm. um, I once went took a Aboriginal man for lunch in town and he had a hesitancy to come into the cafe and I found that disturbing because to me that's almost like South Africa that's unnatural I mean if you're gonna pay you know for lunch one should be happy there yeah. Be I feel like it's different wherever I go because I have out in Maori I, I did meet a few groups of of people that were very integrated yes. um, like Aboriginal people that lived in the same community yes. and also white people that were very integrated with Aboriginal culture and people and accepted it and loved yes. it respected it and I've met like I've met a good mixture but then I, I have I met other white Australians who are very uncomfortable with Aboriginal yes. people. They, they like they'll generalize them, you know. So I think as I've talked about in, in previous podcasts or learned from different people that, like, yeah, like we can't generalize. Not yeah, all but, white Australians but, are like that. But, I think just some. Yeah, but that's learned behavior, and with learned behavior should come 
unlearning and we don't do enough unlearning um, we, we as in a group like everyone people every, in general yeah, yeah people in general um, we learn and we keep on learning but we should also find a way to discard the wrong learning not even build on it you know just chuck it out <laughs> but how do you know if it's the wrong learning or the right learning? Um, like, how do you know? Well, apartheid was the wrong learning. And so we need to unlearn the categorization of people into skin colors. Yeah, I'm doing that too much, I think. I think it's, it's, it's like a, a natural thing in South it's Africa, right? Thing, yes. I got to have a conversation with somebody in South Africa and... and and skin color will be completely irrelevant and the yes. first question they'll say is what what color was <laughs> yeah. uh, it's so common as well even me now talking yeah. thinking back to this discussion that we've just been having yeah. I'll, i've often mentioned it yeah you know what i mean and um so i'm even doing it yes it was weird i mean i need to unlearn that it's a it's a it's a con a conscious application to unlearn it it's so hard yeah it is yeah because, yeah, yeah, it is. But so, it makes us better people. Because we all come from a different direction. You know, if you're in a group of five people, yeah. each of that five see the room different because they don't see themselves in the room. So they all have different images mm -hmm. of the room. And so that's what you have to deal with. Right? So there's not commonality. It's probably also... We need just to be softer to each other and and just let it be rather than it must be my way or the highway. Yeah. It's, it's a level of arrogance. But I just don't know if that's going to happen. No. <laughs> no. But, but I'd like to think it can, but I, I just don't know. Yeah. And also learn that life is not linear, but life is cyclical. And so we should embrace our failures because our failures is the cycle to your next initiative, right? So, so you know, we, we, we are very harsh towards our failures and we should learn to accept the process of failure being part of the procedural Yeah, steps. yeah, failing and then learning from that failure. Yeah, and, that's right. And it'll be... And, and a step closer towards your success. That's right. And to embrace all of that, it's yeah. just this linear thing where things are, you know, in little steps of boxes where you've got to have certain qualifications that you uh, graduated in, etc., etc. It's just it's causing far too much pain mm -hmm. in our community. Um, coming back to uh, your, your work, your, yes. your your volunteer work. Yeah. Do you um do you ever like see yourself stopping that? Um no, because I'm a workaholic by nature. Yeah. <laughs> so. But the volunteer work, like is it um do you, like but, but, do you ever see yourself moving to, to something else? I am not saying stopping working, no, no, but I, like no because uh, the, the, the word work is misplaced there. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, okay, some people play rugby, some people play, play golf. So this is more of a hobby for you? Yeah, it's a total hobby. It's, yeah. it's me having a lot of fun and people giving me money for that fun. It's mm -hmm. like weird. Yeah. And so, yes, I accept the money, 
but it, but it's not about the money. We have but enough. You, you you mean money for your work? Yes. In Vincentia, you don't yes. mean money for no, your no, volunteer work. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, I go to Vincentia. I get enough to live for a week. Yeah. And then we keep the doors closed. And then, um, you know, if you're into building sandcastles, which I, which is like building sandcastles, making dentures. Imagine being on the beach every day. Yeah. And you build sandcastles. Hey, isn't that fun? Yeah. <laughs> so, so money doesn't come into it, you know, and work doesn't come into it. And then, as a bonus. I get to see New South Wales and Australia. I get accolades, not that I need it, but I get accolades. And what accolades have you received? Oh, the Vice Chancellor's Award for Excellence for 2021 Sydney University, the VC Award. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. So. And your work, your work with this um, post centre has has earned you that. Yes, that's correct. So what happens? And I'm not an accolade person, okay? But what happens was your colleagues nominate you. Mm-hmm. And then there's a committee that decides whether you're worthy of it, and then they interview your colleagues. Now, this is kept private from you, and you only learn about it when you get the award. If you didn't get the award, I would never have known that I was even nominated. Oh, true. So, so heavens knows, maybe they nominated me in previous years, and I would never know. Oh, okay. But this year I got it, so. That's awesome. Um, especially that your colleagues nominated you. It means that people sort of seeing you work yeah. as well, like firsthand, were, were impacted by what you did. Yes, and, and, and that's kind of them, you know. Um, but, and, and, and so I don't mind working till late at night because it's not really work, it's just. Yeah, you enjoy it. Yes, people do. Follow you know, your passion and the money will follow you, eh? Yeah, people go to pokey machines and gamble through the night, I suppose, you know, they do all kinds <laughs> of things that keep, that really makes them feel good and happy and whatever. Yeah. I love this. So, um, what, um, so let's talk about your, your, your practice in Vincentia. Yeah. You, you focus specifically on dentures. Yes, that's correct. So, and and uh, nursing homes, hospitals, um, and so we go to the patients mainly. Even like with this practice, you go to the patients? Yes, because uh, Vincentia has a very small population. Oh, okay. Mostly tourists. I think it's 4,000. Oh, 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 I see. And so, so, and so it's all nursing homes right around the area. So it's a retirement area. So are your, are your clientele all local to Vincentia? Yes, yeah, that's correct. Oh, okay. So perfect, perfect think, location. Uh, it's perfect location. Dentures. And what happened, I was, remember I told you I was a tutor for TAFE? Mm-hmm. So a student owned that. Well, a former student. Her name was Trish. She owned the practice. What's she the practice called? Bay Dentures. Bay Dentures. Okay, continue. And Trish owned it. Mm-hmm. And one day, Trish was flooded with work. So she asked me to help her. And I said, I can only afford Saturday because it's the only day I'm free. So one Saturday, I went to help her. We were flat out. And the next Saturday, I helped her again, flat out. For free, by the way. I wasn't getting paid. The third Saturday, Trish said she can't cope anymore. And she walked out. And then I got an accountant to look at the books. So Trish said, do you want to buy it? Yeah, okay, I'll buy it, whatever. The accountant looked at the books and said, well, if I don't buy it, she'll buy it. The accountant will buy it. Oh, okay. So I was, my hand was forced. So I, I bought the practice and I, I, I let it work for me. Yeah. So, so we Did that include the building that the practice is No, in? not the building. Okay, so you it's pay a, rent for Yes, the I pay rent. It's more rent. Yeah. Um, and so I 
uh, reduce the patient list to a level that I can manage and and we cope to a level where I can manage and like I say you know even on a, 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 a um, day that we're not busy we're still earning good money and is it just you just or me do you employ oh, no, uh, Bianca the accountant she's employed as well oh she's employed as, yeah. as a, just a receptionist yes that's correct okay so you do all and, the and, and all the paperwork okay yeah and I see the patients but it's it's not too much work like you can do all the work yourself yes I, I keep it manageable I don't want it to manage me because then it becomes work and and the, the the practice was fully equipped yes prior to you purchasing yes, it? it's fully equipped true and once you bought that practice you um, stopped tutoring oh no it's, I stopped using before that I was in my retirement years when this came up so I stopped tutoring three years ago mm-hmm. and this came up two years ago so you retired and then you yeah. got busier <laughs> yes, I'm a workaholic. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever retire, like just stop completely? I mean, not stop completely, but I yeah, dial know. it back? I don't know because when I'm not working, I do construction work, as you saw, you know, so. Yeah, you built so, so build a house. So I'll be mixing cement and. Yeah, yeah, and doing something. Cement. And that's great, you know, I think you've got the right, um, the right attitude to life because when you stop, you start rusting. <laughs> You yes. stop. You, you start to stop working. You know, yeah. like your body more aches and pains, etc. So, but we have to find that niche that we're comfortable in and we're happy with, mm-hmm. and that doesn't have to be pen pushing. Yeah, um, or, or keyboard. <laughs> my, my father loves that term. <laughs> pen pushing. Pen pushing. Well, it's keyboard pushing, isn't it? Yeah, now it's keyboard pushing exactly. Yeah. I, you know, when I was a tutor in dental, we had students who never held a pen. So we would say, hold a dental instrument like you hold a pen. And they look at you confused. Yeah, <laughs> How do you hold a pen? And you have to teach them to hold a pen first. So your, um, what's your, the, the, the name of your profession then? What would you, you're not a dentist. I'm a dental prosthetist. Dental pro- prosthetist. In some countries it's called denturists. Denturists, yeah. And in South Africa it's called a clinical dental technician. Well, okay. Just uh, lots of different words for the same profession. Yeah. And in South Africa, it is not allowed. So that. So who does it in South Africa? That vacuum is filled by backdoor uh, dental mechanics or dental technicians, who really doesn't have the right training. It's only because there's a vacuum. People want cheap dentures. Dentures doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. Can be done for free, for that matter. We do it for free. and Don't so, you think your clients will be somewhat disgruntled to hear that? Your paying clients? <laughs> that you can do it for very cheap? We do it for cheap for them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, are you mean my colleagues? No, no, your clientele. Oh, the clientele. Okay, they, they're wealthy. Oh. My <laughs> colleagues would be more, you know. But then I do have the worst car in the car park when we go to our conferences, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they have Bentleys and Mercedes Benzes. Talking about your university colleagues, right? Um, no, no, my professional colleagues. Oh, as well, okay. Yeah, my professional colleagues. Well, they have fancy cars, Mercedes Benzes and never knows what. Bentleys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, but, so what exactly, this profession that you have, a denturist, yeah. um, what, uh, what, what's exactly, what, what's involved other than making dentures? Um, 
well, making prosthetic appliances. So you mean for me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, in general as well, the whole profession, what's oh, your okay. scope of practice? Okay, so mainly uh, dentures, but um, they also do uh, dentures by 3D printing now. You really? Yes. And it's, 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 but it's still new. Yeah. And it means that the portability of denture manufacturing will increase. Yeah. Because uh, you can do it in more places. Yeah. And, and that is the mobility of providing dentures is what we have. Mm -hmm. um, because you don't need to have a clinic. You can, it's portable. You can go into somebody's home yeah. and provide their dentures. Yeah. Um, we're going to nursing homes, we're going to hospital wards, um, we're even going to theater. I've, I've already been in theater where a woman's palate was removed um, surgically. Mm -hmm. And my job was to create an appliance called an obturator to plug that hole. So, so we, we do all kinds of crazy things, but yeah. fascinating. But the point is that the, pro, that the dentist, the dental uh, profession is portable. Yeah. There's mobility. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference. That mobility is the difference that we offer. Did you do, um, like, uh, so why doesn't why doesn't why don't your doesn't your practice focus on more of this? Why do you focus just on dentures? I don't. I do. I do what do you mean on? Oh, your your practice does oh, offers oh, everything. Yeah. Oh, that practice offers dentures because that's what I inherited basically. Oh, right? okay. But I offer more. Oh, so, okay. So in the profession here in Sydney, if there is a surgical procedure where somebody's palate is removed in Macquarie Street, yeah. you stop in as you would know. Mm -hmm. They would telephone me. Oh, okay. So you're employed by them still? Uh, yes, for those um, complicated cases. Oh, okay. Yes. So I, I get called to all places. I was at St. George Hospital yesterday doing, yeah. a, doing an emergency process for dentures for somebody who doesn't have long to live. Um, I also get and discover that afterwards that looks are important to palliative care patients. I never knew that if you have 10 days to live, you care about your looks. <laughs> and, and sadly, it's, you know, it's, it's true. It's, it's true. Yeah. I guess it depends on the person as well, right? Yeah. Because I don't, I don't know if I would, but... Yeah, same here. But, you know, all of a sudden I discovered that. And so that's a niche market, right? Mm. And so, yes, we do that. I do that. I, I when, have, you, when you get called in there, are you just a contractor? Are they just paying you directly as an individual or...? Uh, we send them an invoice and they pay it. Oh, okay. Uh, so we give them a basic costing outline and then they accept it. And then we do the procedure in the hospital and then send them an invoice. Mm -hmm. um, but in Australia, you need certain licenses to do it. It's called Clean Connect and so on. And so, yes, I have all those licenses. Well, I put all the credentials and the paperwork to do it. And my colleagues, of course, know that. And I know most of the dental personnel because of the network. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of know each other. Yeah. As you would, there's a strong community. Yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. We, and, and also, I know the South African dental network as well. Not the most favorite because I like to be honest. And, um, and you know, I would tell the truth 
if it favors me or not. And in South Africa, the tourist doesn't favor me, and hey, that's the way it is. So I'm anti the way they pull teeth out there or extract teeth. In South Africa? In South Africa. You How know, are you in contact with them? A lot of it on Facebook and um, seminars. Oh, okay. And so, do you know, you know what an arch is, isn't it? You see an arch bridge, an arch doorway. Yep. Now, if you see an arch doorway, the stones on top of the arch are called keystones. Yep. Oh, the one in the middle at the top is called yeah, the keystone. That's right? correct. Now, that stone keeps the arch together, doesn't it? Yep. Your dental arch is the same. And guess what? The dentists in South Africa willingly pull out the keystones every time. You How? mean teeth? Yeah. Like the arch in your teeth? Yeah, the arch in your teeth, your dental arch. Yep. So the front teeth are the keystones. Oh, okay. They, they would pull that out, right? Even though it is healthy, mm -hmm. right? Why? Because then they have a denture patient for life, for their entire dental careers. That oh. dentist has a denture patient forever. Oh, okay. They're going to have to get new dentures all the yes. time because they pulled out yes. the... And in South Africa, women have more extractions than men. Like, why do women have more extractions than men? Okay, this is documented. Because women keep their dental appointments, men don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and then when women go to the dentist, they have teeth extracted. And what, the, the, the clientele or the, cust the, the, the patients patient just um, just accept it and say, yes, pull my teeth out? They don't know better. Oh, okay. The person in the white coat doesn't do it for the well-being of the patient. They do it for the, um, for the wallet of themselves. And, that, and, that, and we need to just call it out, like, just be honest, you know? Yeah, you mentioned this to me before, how yeah. you were angry, how like, um, yeah. on the advertisement for Qantas. Qantas, yeah, that somebody without front teeth. Yeah, and you don't like the image that that's that giving South Africans. 2014. Yes, I still have it, that image. And, you know, you don't go, you, you visit Cape Town, they didn't advertise, go and visit lions and elephants, go and visit people without front teeth. Mm. How dare they? <laughs> so I complained, you know very loudly to Qantas. And they listened? Of course not. <laughs> no, no I, I think they did listen, but of course they wouldn't acknowledge that they listened. But the advert was removed. Oh, it was? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so on. Um, and just the narrative that people pull their teeth out. Nobody pulls their teeth out. It's unlawful to practice dentistry without a license mm -hmm. in South Africa. But so, you think people still do? Practice dentistry, you mean? Without a license? I don't know because it's, it's, it's uh, very well policed. Oh, okay. So you, you're so. saying so, like official dent dentists are yes, pulling they are out re teeth? Registered dentists pull out healthy teeth. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I've, you, I've got cases there right now. Yeah. I, I've got a case in Stellenbosch mm -hmm. where a lady, I think call them servants or house workers something had a toothache a front toothache and the employer sent her to a dentist in Stellenbosch and they decided to take another worker to accompany another lady about 30 years old 
to accompany her. So the two ladies went to the dentist. One is in the patient with, with pain. They came back. Both of them had their upper front teeth extracted by the dentist. And one wasn't even mentioned. <laughs> no. And all hell broke loose. Now, there are no regulations in South Africa that's been contravened by the dentist. So you cannot they cannot prosecute when, when it's not unlawful. Yeah. And that is what it is. But we can call it out. We can make a noise. And, you know, if, if I'm a lone voice, hey, I don't care. I'll, um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll ask him when I go to South Africa soon and I will, um, I'll see if I can talk to a dentist and I'll ask about this topic. Yes. It's um, called Cape Platt's Smile or Passion Gap. Cape Platt's Smile or the Passion Gap. Yeah. Okay. And, and it was maintained that people do it for oral sex. That was the, uh, that reason, was the, right? the reason apparently. Yeah. yeah, but then we called it out because if it's, if it's done for oral sex and all those gangsters in Cape Town must be gay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so that was a myth. Yeah. And, and it's still ongoing. It's sad. But the sooner we stop causing harm, the better. If that happened in Australia, where you're caught causing harm, you lose your registration instantly. Um, so that we should have those kind of protections in South Africa. So um, how, how else are you involved in South Africa? Oh, with... Um, with dentistry or with anything, really? Uh, well, with homeless children, we put them in school. With what organization? It's called EduCompass. EduCompass, Edu yeah. Compass. We're a, a group of expats South Africans. Yeah. Um, only the expats. And we have put some money together to put children into school, basically. That's all. Just put them in school. That's brilliant. And how many people have you put into school? Oh, gosh. Must be the last count. It's probably over 5,000. Really? Yes. Wow. But we, we, we keep it um, it's fully registered, but we don't advertise it. It's not something you broadcast every day. And we have little projects for the children. Like we did ask them to do artwork. Mm -hmm. I asked these kids to draw or paint their favorite places and we created calendars for these kids and we we um, had you know the January will be the child's story and photo and then the other months will be the artwork of that child and then we send hundreds of these calendars to the child personalized calendars personalized calendars to sell wherever they can traffic lights or somewhere and keep the money so the child decides what price they're going to charge for it yeah and then keep the money and wow. th and that teaches them to be entrepreneurial yeah exactly now we did the printing through the dental companies because these dental companies do advertising printing themselves anyway so because i happen to know quite a large network mm -hmm. of uh, dental supplying companies then i can tap into it yeah. tap into that resource um, and other networks that I can tap in so you know when you have a we each have a network we used to have in the olden days before computers a little address book now we got an address uh, app yeah on your phone or somewhere right but that's a very valuable instrument for broadcasting for yourself for any assistance so so getting assistance for me from 
practice not acting expects is easy. And I should utilize that. Yeah, for sure. It's a tool. But are all your, the South African expats in Australia or across the world? Uh, mostly Australia. And some in Canada, but they buy and large Australian. How many people are in this group of expats? Oh, 200. That's amazing. I have, like a lot of other countries, yeah. especially for example, Punjabis yes. in India, they, they send a crazy amount of money back home. Yes. They earn a lot of money overseas and reinvest it in Punjab. As a result, Punjab has seen a massive growth in wealth over the last yes. 30, 40 years, especially because there's a lot of Punjabis that have moved around yes. the world. But I've always felt that South Africa ha doesn't have enough of that. South Africa is corrupt. And so when I, I can show you some letters I get for, for, for help. And so when you get a very well written, articulate letter with a beautiful opening, a middle and a wonderful ending, mm -hmm. it's just a false narrative. When you get a letter that is not properly written and, and the person doesn't make proper sense and you know, lots of errors and so on and it's just been thrown together, chances are that person is much more deserving than that articulate letter. Yeah, I see. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, I take it from my personal experience. Um, if, when I was in Bridgetown, if somebody came to me and said, what do you want? I'll try and um, work a way to get money out of that person's pocket. That, that is just mm. leaving streetwise, not yep. you know? And so, and so there's a lot of that in South Africa. So one must be very careful of giving wrong help, teaching people to be beggars. Yeah. And really yeah, I think and I can learn from that lesson, to and be and honest. And rewarding them to be beggars. Right? Beggars doesn't improve them. It just makes them good beggars. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even, so well, well, what are you saying? More to, to invest in education? Yes, education, absolute. I try to help people who don't ask for help. Where it's obvious you find a family struggling for whatever reason. Um, you know, it's giving them the, just that hand up um, as a surprise more than anything. Mm -hmm. and, and, and ending it there, you know, my mother was exceedingly embarrassed to ask for help and she never did. And I always witnessed that as much as she needed help, she never asked and never got. And I try to seek those people and help them. Those people that need help but too ashamed to ask for it. Yes. Because I can understand that. I, mm -hmm. I was too ashamed. Yeah. Um, also, um, being in need as a negative thing, as, you know, for we didn't make the right decisions, so we end up, you know, being hungry and so on. Yeah. And it sort of that philosophy that if you work hard, everything will come to you. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's a matter of circumstantial and working with your circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Um, wait, there was like stabbings yeah. and killings in, in South Africa? No, in, in Bridgetown. In oh, Bridgetown. in Bridgetown, we are, yeah. We are gr I grew up, my uh, normal was with um, people being knifed to death. You um, saw it? Yes, yes uh, we saw it. Um, and as a kid? As a kid. I, I remember seeing brains for the first time as a child. 
and somewhat being, remember I'm into shape and form, being absolutely fascinated by it, which is, isn't, that's sick, isn't it? It is, and, and, and how did you see the brains? Who, oh, what, what crushed whose skull? Um, it was a lady, it was a Saturday morning, and she had walked behind the bus on the pavement, on the, not on the nature strip, because there was no nature strip, you know, on the concrete um, pavement um, border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she slipped and she fell behind the bus and the bus went over her head, the back wheels. Because the bus, sorry, but the bus was reversing because there's a terminus. Oh, okay. Terminus. And us being there and seeing it and then brains flashing everywhere and me looking at this and we just kind of buried the brains on the pavement and being fascinated by it and it always reminded me of we had jungle oats at the time yeah with uncle toby's here but jungle oats and whenever we had our jungle oats you always thought of her brain yeah because it had that same softness and i never knew you see brains in the butcher shop and it's firm yeah well, yeah when it's when it's in your head it's not firm it's no. like jungle oats and so you just have a huge respect for those brain surgeons, you know. And but a child shouldn't see that. I only discovered as an adult that children shouldn't see it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know better. And mm. and it just raises my respect for those hearts, for those brain surgeons. And so the the form and shape fascinated me always when you saw like how many people did you see get stabbed to death or die oh gosh how many would I have seen I don't know that was such a frequent Friday night occurrences I don't know many we occasionally had people hang themselves in the bush so you would see you know people swinging by the rope in the bush in Bridgetown um, when you say the bush you don't mean rural area right no I mean um, the, div the dividing bush strip between yeah. um, suburbs. Oh, you used to live in that area? Yeah. In the bush there? Yeah. In, yeah. It, okay, I see. So it wasn't a, a wide nature strip, but... No, no, maybe about a kilometer wide. Oh, okay. But it was a place where you could find refuge? I could. Yeah. Um, because that's all we knew. And, you know, everything uh, happens by the riverside. It was called the Pehikral River. Pehikral River. And that's where I learned to swim. That's where we hang out during the day. And in my case, I had to leave my friends because I went to school. School was the odd thing to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you were you, you and your whole family went to school. Yes. All four, six of you. Yes, all, all of us went to school. And you all just worked to pay for you, pay yourself. Yes. Pay your own way. Yes, pay your own way. And what? So what? Your mom was the reason you guys went to school. She yes. encouraged it. Uh, more than encouraged, she gave us an option. You either go to school or she will kill us. Really? Yes. She threatened you with your life? Yes, my <laughs> life was threatened. <laughs> so, so my option wasn't to go just go to school. My option was, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, or, or get educated. Or get educated. Wow. So that was primary school. Because I remember, before I went to primary school, right, um, I was given the promise that if I learn to read and write, that's why I need to go to school. So it took me six months to learn to read and write of my first year. And so I came to my mom and said, well, fine, I can read and write now, so why do I need to go to school? And of course, you know, I got a smack. 
and um, so it was you know trying to make sense of why is it I'm doing this but I enjoyed primary school because it was um, playtime away from home and and I could carve and paint and you know primary school for us was uh, not the three R's it was more um, singing dancing yeah but high school was the three R's which you mean by the three R's what do you mean by reading that? writing arithmetic oh okay and that and repeat <laughs> and repeat um, did you did you ever suffer any backlash in your in Bridgetown in the community in the bush from like people who weren't going to school like, yes did you huge have, yeah huge so much so that they thought we were up ourselves right now I believe this but I don't know most people probably don't know because my mother sent us to school mm -hmm. we were constantly teased by the neighbors now they used to sing songs at us and make fun of our servant they used to say Ismailani kani ani viti wo om se ma sticky brood te frani dahan Ismailani okay and if I translate that stuff and and other bad words they used to make out of my name okay yeah and today I see the word lani in the vernacular yeah do you know it no. lani no I, okay I think... and it means you're bossy or you're oh. affluent or you yes yes or you I... up yourself yeah. I believe like posh posh yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. believe honestly it started with my mother because she was singled out as that being Lani being Lani and that's and linguistic style drift from the lower class upwards it doesn't come from top down the the, the top echelons own it right mm -hmm. but the way Chaucer spoke English and today the way English is spoken today is completely different, right? Yeah. So we speak about you singular and sometimes use plural, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. And that's a lower class thing, I know. But one day you'll see it being accepted as you singular and use plural. And so what I'm saying is that the way they treated us, you know, trying to be different, trying to be affluent, you know, because I spoke the local linguistic style. Yeah. Right? But when I had to go to school, I had to speak proper. Yeah. And when I came home and I spoke proper, oh my God, it was the end of the world. <laughs> okay. And I was told that I speak different. Yeah. Right. And so that evolved. We're talking about the 1950s now. Before the 1950s, there was no Lani. You're not being yeah. Lani. Lani is a 1960s thing. Yeah. And so I do believe it started with my mother. Yeah. What year were you born? 1952. So that makes you how old now? 69. Going on 70. Wow, you're healthy for your age. Sheesh. I, I, I told you're moving up those stairs quicker than me at your house. I told you I went for my medical this morning. Yeah. And they told me. So they work out your percentage of getting, you know, heart attack or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was less than 10%. Wow. So I'm told I'm very healthy. So you, you, you're going you're gonna to crack 100 easy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. with my work ethics, my I work far too many hours. Maybe that'll keep you going, though. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's the way it is. Now we you'll see Jarvis Bay Road. Yeah. In a second. Now, 
we're gonna go. You know the capital of Australia? It's called the ACT. I do, yes, Australian Capital Territory. It's where that's Canberra a, is located. That's right. We yep. are gonna go to the ACT now again. Okay. And we're going to the ACT Naval Port. So Java's Bay Road picture right there. So this is, well, as far as I'm aware, we're like over 300 kilometers from Australian Capital Territory. Yes, that's correct. Right, Canberra's that way. Um, so what makes yeah. this the ACT? Because this is the naval base and oh. they don't have a naval base. Canberra is landlocked. Yep. And so, uh, Canberra needs a navy. Mm -hmm. And this is their naval base. This is where it is. This is where it is. So you'll see coming up Jarvis base 11 kilometers. Vincent is 15. I do, uh, we, I'm going to take you to Askerson first, which is just next door. Okay, I'll look forward to it. And hopefully there's a South African restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of South Africans now in Australia. It's over a million. Is there? I believe so, yeah. There's, there is many. There's been lots of waves of immigration over. Yeah. yeah. That's why there's so many South African shops and restaurants and so on. And they're very successful, South Yeah, because only the smart ones are let in. <laughs> only, only, the, only the qualified ones are let in, the skilled ones, you know, because yeah. you can't come to Australia on a... I mean, you uh, can't come on a student visa. Or, a, or a, a business visa. Yeah, you have to come on a skilled visa. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the same thing that happens in South Africa, you know, the smarter people... Well, I mean, not the smarter, the people that come from countries that have struggled more they, they've come from harder situations they leave to go yeah. and find um, a place to work you know so they're willing yeah. to work harder because that's the reason they're there they're willing to yeah. work for less and yeah. I think it's the same thing with the South Africans yes. that come here and immigrants in general is they work longer hours yeah. exactly because they 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 that's the reason they've come to the country you know yeah. to yes. make a better life yes and as a result, the locals, whatever country it's in, complain about those international yes. people coming in and it's the reason for xenophobia in South Africa, yes. I think, or... It seems to be a recurring problem. Yes. Yeah, we humans are weird. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever fully understand them. No. Us. No, same here. We complain so much about pests, like animal pests, but... I look at the just the, the the definition of a pest, and I think we're the pests. <laughs> yes. Everywhere we go, we kill everything. We justify why it's okay to kill it. Yes. We spread. We breed. <laughs> uh, but you know, for me, I often walk, if you watch a a, a soccer match, mm -hmm. and you see the forward positioning himself in a in a way that if the ball gets passed to that forward, that forward will kick a goal, right? Yes. That's not accidental. That's the forward placing himself in that position. Now, I think probably in my life, there's been a lot of that, um, where timing and geography came together in a way that was beneficial for me. Mm -hmm. Like this practice, getting this practice and so yep. on. Um, getting Bonnet Bay, you know, all those places, it's, it's heaven there. You go kayaking and um, they've got oyster farms. Yeah. So you can go and pinch oysters because there's no farmer there, there's just oyster farms. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so you're alone there <laughs> and it's easy picking, just <laughs> pick oysters out of the water. It's just 
is um so you, you like coming coming to that analogy that you talked of like um with, with the soccer player the striker yes. positioning themselves yes. do you feel like throughout life you've positioned yourself correctly the whole time yes or generally so yeah yes i told you when i was the messenger at tigerberg hospital yeah right and i felt the grief that i couldn't register Mm-hmm. And the day I left, I still felt hard done by someone. Oh, wait, can you tell the listeners about that? You told me that off, 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 yeah. off camera. But um, so you were employed as a messenger in Tigerberg. This is when you came back from London. Yes. Right. And uh, doing uh, dental technology work, maxillofacial work on the bench. So uh, everybody around me was getting good money. Yeah. They were all white South Africans. And you were right? working with them. Alongside them, doing same thing as them, um, working hard, getting paid as a messenger, so a tenth of what they were getting. For the same job? For the same job. Because you were not white? Because I was not white, yes. Understood. Yes. And then I was always angry with that. Yeah, so I can when, imagine. So, <laughs> when, But then it, it was the... Um, reason why I left South Africa and having left economically is much better for me you know I'm, I'm very well established very well set I wouldn't have all this if I had stayed in South Africa yeah even if you like um, stayed and, and after 94 you would have got paid an equal amount yeah. you would still yeah it wouldn't be as no so, as well off yeah, and then when I came here, I met with Professor Cam Graham, who became my mentor. Yeah. And so, you know, everything uh, done for me, basically. Perfect timing every time. That's so, luck. So would you say you've um, succeeded in life? Oh, gosh. I understand that's relative, but... Yeah. I'm happy in life. I've always been happy in life. I don't see it as a competition of having gone to the finish line there's no finish line so there's no relativity of success or not I don't know what that is so yes I've succeeded if one wants to uh, measure it by that analogy but I don't think of it that way I just think I'm happy yeah um, you know I as you know the Sydney real estate market went berserk not mm-hmm. so long ago and I was thinking I'll, I'll sell a house and live in luxury, but it never got around to it. <laughs> because what is that living in luxury? What is it? It's, it means nothing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I don't think it's going down anytime soon, but yeah, you can just sell one of your houses and you'll yeah. make a massive profit. Yeah, and, but that's just money. That's just uh, a number in my bank balance. Yeah, you've got everything you need right yeah. now, right? Yeah, yeah, I have. and. If I can make the world a better place by helping people to have my kind of profession in South Africa where other people get free dentures, where other people get, you know, um, appliances made for them, uh, uh, dental appliances, that is a better situation so that my visit to this earth, and it's as short as it is, right, is beneficial. It's about my footprint. Is my footprint an asset to the world or is my footprint a liability to the world? I don't want my footprint to be a liability. 
because then my visit to this earth is not worth it. And that's more important to you than yes. financial success? That's correct. But yeah. you, don't you see that in, in your financial success is what's helped make a better, like helped you yes. in, like increase your footprint? No, your yeah, yeah, the number. Well, uh, it's just a tool. It's like you use a hammer or pliers yeah. or something. It's a tool. And yes, that, that, that tool, I like to keep well oiled. That doesn't mean I'm chasing money. Mm -hmm. It means that I use money like a tool. You see, I would like to think if you give somebody 20 rand, that they have a way to make it 40 rand. Yeah. Not zero rand. Yeah. Quickly, right? And so when we help somebody, it's going to be help up. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I'm. Yeah, not just like, for example, the Australian social welfare system is an example of that. I'm yes. sure it, it helps many people in many situations, uh, but often it just enables people and they just know they're going to get it next week. Yes. So they just spend it. Yes. In Australia, it is designed to fuel the economy. So yeah. The more money people have, the more they're going to spend. And the more they spend, the more they uh, um, increase the flow of industry. You know, yeah. People yeah. manufacturing yeah. and so on. And so there's a reason behind it, you know. Um, when we had the, the um, international um, financial crisis, we were all sent checks. We don't spend. Yeah. And so every time there's a crisis, they do that. Yes. And so the the, the logic is different. In, in South Africa, the industry has slowed down. So so you know because few people have money there, mm -hmm. and so there's not enough to go around to sort of you know open up the factories and so on. It's just a, a different framework. <coughs> Finally here at Ishlani's Dental Practice. If you would like to see Ishlani's Dental Practice, please check out the video on Unbuckled Discussions. It might not be up at the time of the, listening to this recording, but it will be eventually. Back on the road now, heading for Sydney. Just yes. left the Australian Capital Territory. Yeah. ICT. <laughs> in yeah. the naval base in Jarvis Bay. Yeah. So you were saying um, just before, off record, that um, from where you grew up, not many people came, were educated? Yeah, came out of there, educated or even um, survived. So many of them died young. But we lived at number 42 Dekerweg, right? Dekerweg. And I was convinced that our neighbors at 44 Dekerweg or 40, sorry, uh, 40, 40 Dekerweg would have committed murder. So I googled 40 Dekerweg and lo and behold, there are murder cases listed. And so it's just weird how crazy that place was. Um, you know. Do you mean afterwards now in Australia you googled it? I googled it, yes. Yeah. I just felt convinced because they were always having knife fights there and it was just chaos there. Yeah. So we're talking about next door neighbors. Now as a child, I could be pretty close to those knife fights and nothing would happen to me. It was just them settling their own arguments in a very brutal way. But it was the fights amongst themselves and not with me so I could witness it at close range, which is absolutely crazy and chaotic. Mm -hmm. You and your mother wasn't like um, didn't come from a family that had any, like was had any of this type of behavior. Or? No, she was there due to circumstances, and 
uh, definitely lots and we were very different we were Afrikaans speaking or Cape Flash linguistically speaking not Afrikaans or English um, but our aspirations were different to the locals and so we were regarded as being different. And treated so as well? Yeah, treated, treated very much um, with sometimes snobbery from my friends that I want to be pals with. Yeah. You know, I was speaking differently because I was beginning to speak grammatically correct. Mm -hmm. And that was strange to them, so I was teased. But my schooling insisted that I speak grammatically correct yeah. and my home insisted that I speak the linguistic style mm. for my home and it was so confusing because I used to get accolades for speaking correct at the school yeah. and it made no sense at home so, so it was very difficult but then I discovered that my childhood linguistic style was quite beautiful and today I discovered its beauty but you know it's a uh, economic situation where you have you ever been um, teased like when you got you've been in Australia for 40 years now over 40 years yes do you uh, have you ever been teased when you first got here in Australia about your oh, my accent still <laughs> I still get that yeah. do they know yeah. you're South African ah uh, they can tell I'm normally get told you yeah. know you're South African within minutes Oh, okay. So I, I don't think I've lost my South African accent. Not at all. But it's probably a educated South African accent, not my Cape Flats linguistic style. Can you um, give us an example of your Cape Flats yeah. linguistic style? Just like it. Who's it? Who's it, my bro? <laughs> <laughs> and Has it been a while? Do you uh, speak like that to anyone anymore? Yeah, when I visit Cape Town and mm -hmm. I become invisible, I dress like the locals, I swagger like the locals. Oh, yeah. And I use the linguistic style like the locals, so I become invis invis invisible. Um, when you got to Australia, it's a bit of a tangent, but yeah. did, you, did you notice much, like what was the relationship between um, Aboriginal and white Australia back then compared to now? Oh, okay. Wow. It was... Like apartheid without the formality of apartheid. In the 80s? In the 80s, oh yes. And um, Australia was quite xenophobic then. And it was my goal to see if I can fix it. Yeah. And so it was a more a challenge because... Oops, yeah. Were the government giving a lot of benefits to Aboriginals back then? When did that start? I didn't notice. I have no idea. I, my experiences with Aborigines is only 10 years old. Oh, okay. You so, never really met many Aboriginals prior to that? I didn't think of themselves as Aboriginals. I moved into Maroubra and there's La Perouse close by and I suddenly have friends in La Perouse, but I never saw them as Aboriginals. They were just friends. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I, ne I never classified them. So I never knew people as having belonging to a group. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the way I see people, I see people for people, not Yeah, not for the colour of their skin. Or, or any classification. But, um, like, I'm just trying to get get an idea of what, what, what was the climate back then compared to now, though. Like, has it changed a lot? Uh, like, was there a lot of segregation back then? Yes. Between the two? The, uh, uh, xenophobia. 
What, towards Aboriginals? No, towards yeah, any to, international? Yes, to, towards internationals, towards uh, darker-skinned people. Xenophobia has always been here and it still is, and we can work hard against it. But xenophobia is just because of lack of education. And so we just have a responsibility to educate people. And, and so if I represent in some people's minds Asian groups, so that Asian group sits in other people's minds, then I have to make sure that I'm a good representative of that group so that those minds can improve, you know, and not build a hostility or a defense mechanism towards what they perceive as a dangerous group. Um, we still see that in Australia in the language. Language is a very powerful tool and we use, we use the term illegal migrants. They're not illegal. They're asylum seekers. And so we have to be very careful how we use language. Language can be quite destructive, but language can also help heal and build. So, you know, language is very important. You mean language in the media or between people? Or? Yeah, language, people, everywhere, written form, uh, spoken form. Yeah. The, the words we choose um, must help, I suppose, to keep the peace. You know, we shouldn't be being hostile to each other and, and, and live as a collection, collection of humans. So, so I like to see less putting down of people and more building up of people because we have to live together. We have to share time and space together. Yeah. We, we must well have a happy time. And, and there's lots of depression and pain and we can heal all that if we just reflect a good um, tone towards other people. Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you, speaking of, of depression, yeah. do you have, have you encountered much of that in Australia? Me personally, as an ailment, not, not me personally, I think I'm very optimistic and a happy person by nature. Well, but, but, uh, um, but in other people? But witnessed, yes, you witness it a lot. And it's very prevalent in Australia yes. from my experience. Yes, but it shouldn't be in such a wealthy country. Yeah, but I feel like that's part of the reason why there is so many people who, who suffer this, this illness of depression. Because they compare themselves and then they are a glass half full. Um, half empty, you mean? Or half full? Okay. Sorry, yeah, half empty. I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, half empty. Um, so, so then they have a need, and they can never fill that need. So, so yeah, no matter how much they have, they always yeah, yeah. What's your opinion on antidepressants? Any medication um, is a is a temporary fix. I think we should, we should really try to educate our minds and start fixing our minds. The brain is a very powerful tool, and the sooner we fix our brains, the better it is. And that's got a lot to do with education. You know, I discovered a long time ago that formal education is only a very small box of developing us. Informal education is the larger box. So what we experience on the road, uh, in society, outside, that's far more important than that little uh, piece of paper you get at the end of completing a university degree. Mm -hmm. uh, 
um, and you feel like more of that so just getting out and do stuff yes doing stuff and experiencing more things the education the university of life I've heard somebody yes call and, it and and you think that that's the the cure to yes depression as opposed to antidepressants yeah it's the way we live yeah and the way we live with each other the way we you know construct society all of it um, yeah. And, Education, and, eh? that's the answer. Yeah, and, and, and we as a society should stop having this huge accolade for an academic achievement. Academic achievement is only a small part of who we are. You know, so okay, fine. So you went to university, you got your degree, good. But then we shouldn't put other people down because they didn't go to university. We, we should rather have a form of giving accolades to informal education. Like yourself being on the road. We should give accolades for that, but we don't. I think it's changing somewhat with, yeah, yeah with like internet, with YouTube, with a lot of different platforms. And, yeah. and giving people with no accolades the ability to get things done, like making it easier for them to get things done yes. by themselves. But for sure, like in South Africa especially, right, if you don't have a degree, yeah. You're on the back foot straight away. Like and you need that degree. And it shouldn't be like that. Mm. Okay, you know. Because if you can't afford it, then it's just so much more difficult. And Yeah. Yeah, so it becomes an affordability thing. And so your, your family is rich when you go to university. And then society places you at a certain level. And all of that. It's just nonsense. Mm. Because people living in impoverished areas might have much more humanity or even intellectual capacities than somebody else who's got some fancy accolades, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's just our system is dear makar, <laughs> upside down. Yeah. Dear makar, right? That's, uh, it, can you translate for that for us? What yes. does that mean in Afrikaans? Yes, it, 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 oh gosh, it means it, it's mixed up. Mixed up, dear makar. Yeah, mixed up. It's got his priorities wrong. Mm. Yeah. And and so I rather would choose somebody with much more life experiences than somebody who spent four years sitting in a university lecture room. Yeah, but I mean, like, depends what the profession is, right? Like, yeah. Like you'd want a doctor to have done pretty well in the university. Yes subjects but I don't know maybe life experience can uh, experience like real world experience can yeah travel um, mix with societies I once went to Africa not to look at I went on a safari where in Africa uh, southern Africa I went to Zimbabwe Botswana mm-hmm. and South Africa those two places and Namibia as well but what I did was, instead of looking at animals, I did a people safari. So I went to villages mm-hmm. and I visited people. And particularly in Botswana I went from, and, and Zimbabwe, I visited uh, indigenous groups. I found it a lot more scary, a lot more unpredictable than going to southern Africa on a safari looking at animals and and it taught me a lot 
that humans are so unpredictable and scary. Mm. Because I remember staying in Zimbabwe in a little a poor village and I slept in somebody's house. I just noticed the way they locked up for the night. Yeah. <laughs> and the chains and the bolts and heaven knows what. And I just discovered, man, this must be a bad area. Yeah. <laughs> and another incident, remember I'm on the safari? I went to a nightclub or a bad area, I don't know what you call it. Uh, by yourself? Yeah, by myself. In um, Zimbabwe, in Harare. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, what do you call a, a, war, a war house? A war house? A war house? Yeah. Where, oh, sure. Okay. Uh, a brothel. Bro- yeah, brothel. That's what you call it. Yeah. Okay, a brothel. I went to a brothel yeah. because I wanted to see what it is. I've never been there, so yeah, one way of finding out what it is is to go to it. Yeah. And they had low music and low lights there. Yeah. There were lots of people and they were drinking and blah, blah. And I walked in and I saw a man get up in the far corner just through the low light. Yeah. And I could see he came straight to me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I am in trouble. Yeah. Right? Now, I had my hand in my pocket, and in my pocket was a pen. And I held my pen as if I'm going to stab him if anything happens, you see? Yeah. So I had my weapon, my pen. <laughs> and he came up to me through this room, and he asked me for a pen. <laughs> I wasn't going to hand over my weapon. And I said, no, I don't have a pen. <laughs> and so of the entire group, this man decided that I look like somebody who will be carrying a pen. Okay. <laughs> Which you were, so he was Which right. Which I was, <laughs> but I lied. <laughs> but I find that unique in that. That's how he judged me, yeah. right? <laughs> but then but how, how was that experience in the brothel? Did you, scary. Um, scary? Scary. I find humans unpredictable. I find I couldn't work humans out. I couldn't judge them. I, I just found it scary. So as for a learning experience, I find humans um, uh, difficult to work out. Animals are easy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so having a people safari. So um, what gave you this idea to have a people safari? Um, I met the, the Zimbabwean ambassador to Washington yeah um, and he told me that people always ask him about animals in Africa and nobody has ever asked him about people in Africa and I found that statement profound and I thought maybe I should learn more people of Africa mm. yeah. did you go to the um, do you have any um, Khoisan uh, blood? Probably. I must have because of my heritage. Did you did you go see any of the the um, Khoisan? Khoisan people in Botswana or Namibia? No, no. So you must know that Khoi and San are two different groups of people. Oh, they are? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's our modern day people who put them together as one group. They're not one group, they're two groups. Okay. So. Oh, do they belong to two, diff- two different geographic zones? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Khoi and San. And and so yes, uh, they're also part of Kamisa. Yeah. And and 
and um, then at some point was the Griquas as well, which the Griquas yes. were, yes. I believe, a mixture between Afrikaans people and Khoi people. I, I wouldn't know. I don't know oh. that much about. Oh, okay. No, no. Yeah. No. Um, but you saw um, who who I which the Khoi or the San? Which group or what's the name of the group of people in Namibia in the deserts there? Oh, you you talk about this Herero? Yeah. Uh, Creek was, I suppose. I don't know. I'm not. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll check that out. Actually, I'm interested in that. This car's got a little bit of punch, yeah. It was an Orion. Yeah, a Toyota Orion. Yeah, it's nice. Prodigy, Orion Prodigy. Well, I've done 330,000 kilometers. I I do a lot of kilometers. Yeah, well, seeing as your work is two hours from your home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I can imagine. In South Africa, they consider that far. Yeah. We consider it down the road. Down the road. Oh, I don't know about that. I think um, <laughs> and maybe in the country, in, in country Australia, that's oh. down the road. But oh, yeah. on the coast, I think that's still pretty far. <laughs> Is it? Okay. So that was Jarvis Bay Road, right? Yeah. We are on Prince's Highway now. Prince's Highway. Yeah. And yep. Prince's Highway will take us all the way home. Yep. And so from, from my workplace to my home is four roads. Oh, okay, so it's around the corner. You're around the corner. Four roads is around the corner. <laughs> Four. Oh? Oh, well, um, it's been an, a pleasure. I'm sorry if I've been a bit tired. Um, no, you're not. You're, you're good. I'm, I'm blown out of the water with somebody who's asking me about my background mm-hmm. when I think that just that is what it is. Yeah, it is, but it, it, like, because of it, it's, it's, who you, it's because it, it's made who you are today. Right, and um, so I think those stories have a lot of importance, or at least for me, a lot of them I've heard before from when I first met you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been. I think uh, I think a lot of my listeners, hopefully, there's yeah. many of them, eventually yeah. will um, will enjoy what your the, the messages that you have, and all the stories you have, well, all I the lessons you have. I hope so, because you know, I, I, the, the most important thing I think people need to learn is that life is not linear. We need to stop this linear thinking, you know, so that they see a failure as being the end of the world. Mm. It's not. Life is cyclical and the failures are part of the cycle. Yeah. And so we just ride it because yeah. it's those failures that will lead to success. And if the more we think of it is as cyclical rather than mm. linear, the happier we'll be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Start, start embracing failure and not, you know, rejecting it and and making people feel bad about it mm-hmm. we should s- stop this packaging where we trim up certain things and we yeah cast other things down i think that's that's unbuckled put discussions really because um well especially at the moment because a lot of the podcasts i feel like i've i don't know i haven't got to the point or tripped of my words but i'm gonna try and do that embrace those failures just post them anyway yes let people see them and then yeah. they'll see the success in the future and yes and it's cyclical it's, yeah it's uh, the cycle keeps on turning and it's a happy cycle it's not a you know we we what was we only have three score years and ten yeah I've got one year left <laughs> <laughs> so so you know there's no time to be unhappy man I, I like mean, it I like it joyful Thank you very much. Yeah. And um, hopefully um, one day I'll have you on again yeah. on, on Unbuckled Discussions. Yes. Where can, where can people contact you if they want to? Or uh, not so that you need to be contacted, but um, if they want some dentures. Yes, they can see me on Facebook, Ishlani. 
Ishlani. I S H Lani. So, so my mother spelled my name I S H M A E L Ishmael. Yeah. My birth certificate said is male. I S M A I L. Which is, I believe, the original spelling, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. So. I never know who what? I am, but I prefer Ish. to honor my mother. Oh, okay. So I stick to Ish. Ishmael. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah, it's been it's been an honor, and we'll have you on again. And um, this is Unbuckled Discussions. Stay unbuckled, people. Have more. Cheers. Yeah. yeah unbuckled. Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. This is Unbuckled Discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Unbuckled discussions. Welcome to Unbuckled Discussions.